Achilles, of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all of generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Thank you, Kelly. Please keep your Bibles open to Psalm 72 as we make our way through that this morning. If you are a note taker, we've provided an outline for you on the back of your worship guide that you can follow along with. And that also gives you kind of the breakdown of the verses, how we will go about that. This idea of king, kings and kingdoms, sometimes when we come to a passage like this or a psalm like this, we think maybe this is one of those times in scripture where this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, what does this have to do with me? As you know, in this church, we believe all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God. And as he says, it is useful. It is profitable for training and teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. And so this psalm, Psalm 72, has something for us this morning. Now, many of you probably are not kings. Many of you probably don't follow the leadership of a king. But what I want to show you this morning is that this passage actually applies to all of those who are leaders or potential leaders in society, which means all of you. And so this psalm really does apply to all of us in one way or another. So whether you are a leader in a business or a society, a boss, a parent, a teacher, a business owner, uh, whether you are a student, maybe an upperclassman or maybe a, a lead uh, ahead of your class in grades, whether you are a sibling, maybe an older sibling, um, whether you are a pastor, a leader in a church, leader of a ministry in a church, or whether you are just a believer in general, as a believer, a Christian, you are actually called to be a leader in the world, in society. 
or if you are an elder, an older citizen, senior citizen, or someone with influence and power in society. So as you can see, leadership really applies in many different ways. So all of you, whatever your specific context of leadership that the Lord has called you to, I want you to be listening as I go through this psalm about how that applies to you. How does that apply to you in your workplace? How does that apply to you with your family? How does that apply to you with siblings or with co-workers? Whatever that might look like, how does this psalm apply to you? Now, this psalm is one of uh, two that are designated to King Solomon. And as he's writing this, he's actually praying for himself. He's praying that the Lord would help him as king of the people to lead them well, to lead them with justice and righteousness. If you were to go over to 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm not going to read all of this, but in 1 Kings chapter 3, we see where Solomon is first. He, he's first on the throne, and he has a dream. And in that dream, God asked him, Solomon, what would you have from me? Anything you want, any request you have, ask of me, and it will be given to you. And what Solomon asked is that the Lord would give him wisdom. And that wisdom was not just so that he could be a great king, but actually his request is wisdom so that he might lead the people, God's people, with justice and with care. And so God tells him, not only will I give you wisdom, but because that's what you've asked for, not for yourself, but for my sake and the sake of my people, for my glory and their good, I'm also going to bear fruit in your kingdom, and I'm going to cause your throne and your dominion to succeed and, and be great. <clears throat> and so that's really what, it's almost like this psalm is that prayer of Solomon continued. So as we go through this, what I want you to see is that we lead with care for the glory of God and the good of others. Lead with care for the glory of God and the good of others. We're going to look at that in three things. The first four verses, we're going to look at lead with care. So if you have your Bible, again, have that open to Psalm 72. Lead with care. What does this mean? Well, you see several key words in there. It says, give the king justice. Justice, O God, and righteousness. So what is, what is that idea of justice and righteousness? You actually see this. I've noticed this since preparing this psalm. I've noticed over the past couple of weeks as I've been reading through my uh, reading plan in my Bible that this, these two words often get paired together when it comes to those in leadership. Justice and righteousness. But what does that mean? Well, justice means you treat people fairly. You, you execute what is right and what is fair, and you punish what's wrong, but you also help those who are in need, who need to be boosted and need to be encouraged and lifted up. So justice, but also with righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is goodness. It means to do good in everything that you do, so that everything you do is with good intentions and is right according to God's law and will. So Solomon is asking, Lord, help me be fair to the people that you've called me to, but also to be a good king, 
not to compromise morals, not to compromise what you would have me do, to make the hard decisions because they are the right decisions. You can already see how that would apply probably in your given context. You can think through, maybe as a parent, when you have to make decisions for your children or tell them no when they really don't want you to say no. It's a hard time, it's a hard decision, but it's the right decision. Or in your workplace, or as a teacher, all of these different places where you have to say and do things because they're the right thing, but they're not the easy thing. So you have to ask God, help me to lead with justice, but with also righteousness. Help me to judge the people with righteousness and to take care of the poor. You see that in verse 2. But also let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, that they would, would also live in righteousness and that they would, have, they would bear fruit in whatever place you've put them. And help me to defend those who are in need. So this first section we see that Solomon is asking God to help him lead the people with care, that he would do it fairly, that he would do it for their good. And he, he points out, he actually says that he would do that with um, taking care of those who are in need, those who are oppressed, looking out for the most vulnerable, those who maybe might fall by the wayside, maybe who would be outcast by others, that the king himself would notice them. That, that the one who is at the highest position in the kingdom would notice the people in the lowest position and care about them. This is very countercultural to the way kingdoms probably worked in those times. You know, kings probably didn't associate with the lowly. But Solomon is praying that he would associate with them, that he would recognize their needs, and that he would meet their needs. That he would care about those who are poor and outcast. <clears throat> Actually, another example in 1 Kings chapter 3, if you were to go through that entire chapter, I would encourage you, maybe this afternoon, while you're waiting for the rain delay, go read 1 Kings chapter 3, right? Uh, and you'll see kind of the beginnings of Solomon's reign there. You'll see the prayer for wisdom, but then right after that, we're actually given a case study in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 16. Maybe you've heard this story. It's the, it's the story of two women who come and they plead their case before Solomon. And what's happened is they each have a baby. They've each had a child. And one of those women had rolled over and suffocated their child in the night. And that child had died. And so before the other woman woke up, she took that child from the other woman and claimed that child as her own. So then there was this dispute, this argument. So they come to the king, Solomon, and with wisdom, he, he sets out this plan. He says, okay, well, in that case, let's take the child, bring me my sword, we'll divide the child in two, and each of you will get one half. Sounds crazy, right? <laughs> what? what are you talking about? Uh, well, the, the woman whose child had died says, fine, that's great. The woman whose child it actually was says, no, give the child to her. Don't kill the child. And then Solomon knew right away who the true mother was. Now, the interesting thing about this story that I actually, I've heard this several times growing up as a child, uh, heard it in Sunday school, as a grown-up, I've read through it, but this was the first time it actually stuck out to me when I went back and read this passage. These two women were prostitutes. 
They were prostitutes. And King Solomon, you know, they come into his throne room. What could he have done? He could have said, get out of here, you, you filth. You don't belong here. You're the lowly of society. You don't deserve justice. What? Get out. But what does he do? As a good king, he welcomes them in, and he executes justice and righteousness even for those who might be considered the worst outcasts of society. He loves them, and he says, you, as one who is created in the image of God, also deserve God's justice. You see that? That's what a leader does. He looks out for everyone, no matter what they've done, no matter what life choices they've made, they recognize you deserve equality and justice and righteousness because you are made in the image of God. Do you see that? And so that is an example, a prime example of one of those situations where Solomon shows his wisdom, shows his care for the people, and shows his justice and righteousness. So just to try to go through a few categories for application on this first point, what would it look like to lead with care? Well, parents, let me stop and talk to you for a second. Leading with care doesn't mean to, as the Bible says, doesn't mean to exasperate your kids. It doesn't mean to lead them in a way that is demanding and cruel and harsh and even overly sarcastic all the time, but you are one who leads them with gentleness, with care, with love. Your desire is for their good, to help them grow and succeed, and ultimately to point them to Christ. Parents, specifically dads, if you're in this room, you are called to be a king in your household, to lead to make the hard decisions, to, to be the one who leads your family, leads your wife, leads your kids, but also loves and cares for them, is gentle with them, who notices those areas where your family needs your wisdom and help. And if you don't have that, to pray to God that he would give it to you. And it's a sad situation in our culture that men are not filling their role in the household. It's not happening. And, it, and, and in sitcoms and on TV and on podcasts, the role of the dad is a joke. And you see women constantly having to come in and take the spot that the men, by God, were given. Now, I'm not, I'm not arguing for some kind of misogynistic culture here, right? I'm just saying men have a God-given leadership role that they are failing. They are failing their families, and they are failing the Lord. So, men, let's just stop and let God convict us and help us and show us what our role looks like. And women, if that's true in your household— then sometimes, yes, it means that you step into that role. It means that you, if your husband is not going to fulfill their duty as leader and spiritual leader, that you step in and you take that role. And you lead your kids the best you can, even if you don't have your husband's support all the time. You help them follow the Lord as you follow the Lord. 
And that's hard, but that's sometimes what the Lord has called you to as well. So lead with care. The second thing I want you to see is to lead with prayer. We see this in verses 5 through 17, a big section here. And really, when you think about it, this whole psalm is a prayer, isn't it? It's Solomon praying to the Lord to help him lead the people well. But specifically, you actually see a couple of things. First of all, in verse 1, go back up to verse 1 for a second. You see that he calls himself the royal son. Verse 1, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. What Solomon is tying that into is the covenant promise that God actually made to his father, David. When God promised David, Solomon's father, that a son will always be on the throne of David. Your son will always be on the throne and will always rule. So Solomon is actually tying in his prayer to what God has actually revealed of himself to be true. Do you see that? You, you understand what I'm saying? So he's not making some request or some claim out of thin air or coming up with his own desires. He's actually basing his prayer request on God's promises. Do you see that? On God's covenant, who God has promised to be and to do for Solomon. So his prayer is based on God's promises. It's asking God to do what God said he would do. That's often what our prayers don't look like, but should look like. That's what Jesus says. When you pray according to God's will, your prayers will be answered. Now, I know that's sometimes hard. And, well, is, what is God's will for my life specifically in this moment? Let me give you an example. Does God want us to pray for people that are sick to get well? Yes. But I think God more than that would ask that through that sickness and suffering that people would grow to know and love him more and to know his love more through their suffering, whether or not they get better. Now, will God answer prayers for healing? Yes. Will he always do that? No. But for his people who desire to know him and glorify him through every situation, will God answer that prayer? I believe he will. That you will always grow to know more of his power and love if that's truly your prayer and desire in every situation. Because that is God's will for your life, ultimately. And so we pray according to God's will and his promises, but also notice he actually asked that they would pray for him. Look at verse 15. Long may he live, talking about him as king, long may I live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him, and may prayer be made continually for him. So what, is, what else is Solomon saying? He's saying, may I pray on behalf of the people, answer my prayers, but Lord, would you have others pray for me? I need people to pray for me. That's what Solomon's saying. May the prayers for me, may the prayers for the king continue. May they be going on continually. And so if you're in leadership, um, there's actually a pastor by the name of Jack Miller, and he, he had a whole team of people. Every time he went and spoke at a conference, every time he went, and, and, and went on a mission training or something like that, he would recruit people to pray for him, to pray for his ministry. 
and he would send them specific things. You know, I'm meeting with this person, pray for me. And his whole ministry was wrapped up with prayer, people praying for him continually. And so if that's you in a leadership position, if you you need help parenting, if you need help uh, leading a business well, if you need help teaching or, or whatever you're doing, do you have people who are praying for you regularly in those places? Whether it's a small group of friends, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the church groups that we have, whether it's um, a few coworkers, you get together and you pray for each other, whatever that looks like, do you have people praying for you? And let me just stop for a second and say this. Would you pray for me? Pray for your pastor? Pray for this church and, and the leadership of this church, the future leadership of this church that is necessary if we are going to become a particularized, established church? Pray for your leaders. Last week during the kingdom prayer, I prayed for our president and vice president. We're told in scripture to pray for those in authority over us. Whether it's a president, whether it's a, a government employer, whether it's a mayor or whoever, we're told to pray for our leaders. So pray for them. Lead with prayer. <clears throat> Um, you see an illustration here in verse 6. What is the, what is the desire of this? You know, when, when Solomon's praying, um, he's praying that his kingdom would grow. He's praying that his kingdom would be prosperous, that the people of his kingdom would uh, be successful in all their different regions. He actually gives an illustration in verse 6. He says, may he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass. I actually um, started preparing this sermon on Monday afternoon, started looking at it, and that morning I woke up and I cut the grass, and about an hour after I cut the grass, it rained, and I was like, wow, look at that coincidence. Now, what is that, uh, what is so significant about that, to cut the grass and then have it rain? Well, many of you know when you cut your grass and you have all the freshly clipped clippings and you've just broken off a bunch of seed on the grass um, well if you get water on that right away that's actually going to help your lawn fill in all the dead spots and it's going to help that lawn become more full and more green and that's what that's the picture Solomon is giving is that that which at times gets cut down which is dead in spots Lord would you cause rain to fall on this kingdom fill it and make it grow to make people in all these places where where there's poor where there's the oppressed would you cause all of them to flourish to be fruitful in their ministry cause your reign to fall on our on the whole kingdom that there would be life and so again to apply this <clears throat> whether you're a, a parent or a business owner or a teacher, someone who works in the school, a government, person in government, uh, pastors, leaders in the church, ministry leaders, or let me ask you this, older siblings or younger siblings, um, classmates, who can you pray for? Who can you pray for? 
Who comes to mind immediately as someone who is in need right now that you could pray for? Let me, let me ask you this. Um, there's a, a question that I got asked one time. Uh, I was actually at an evangelism conference, and the question was this. If God answered all of your prayers from the past week, how many people would be saved? So let me put that in another way. If God answered all your prayers from this past week, how many of your kids would have repented and come to know Jesus in a much deeper way? How many of your employees would have changed from being disgruntled to being filled with joy? How many of your coworkers would you have much more love for because you prayed about that this past week? How many of your classmates, I know you haven't started school yet, but how many of your classmates would now be your friends? What do you pray for? When you pray, what do you pray for? And if the Lord were to answer those prayers, what would your life look like? Would it look any different? And so um, those are some questions to be asking. Lead with prayer. <clears throat> the last thing we see is to lead for God's glory. So we, we lead with care for our people, so for the good of people. And we do that depending on God through prayer, that he would do that through us. And ultimately, what this does is it brings glory to God. Look at verses 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Now, notice that one phrase in verse 18. The God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. What Solomon is saying is, Lord, if my kingdom's going to be successful at all, if we're going to grow at all as a people, if we're going to uh, make an impact in society for the good of people, if we're going to see the poor come out of that, those who are oppressed set free, if we're going to see any of this happen, it's not going to be because I've got all this wit, because I'm a creative thinker. Because I'm a good executor of plans. Because I'm a good, I have a strong voice when I need it. It's going to happen because you alone do wondrous things. Now, he can do that through people and through you, through your personality, how he has created you. He can use you wherever you are to make that impact, to make a difference in the world. But ultimately, it goes back to him. He is the one who has done that. He's the one that actually gave you the physical ability to wake up every morning and drive to work. He's the one who provided whatever business or company or wherever you work, he's the one that set that in place. He's the one who provided you with that job. He's the one who gave you the kids that you have. He's the one who gave you whatever spouse you are with. He alone does wondrous things. And so in every situation, wherever we see that the Lord has blessed our work, the glory goes back to him. Lord, you have done this. You have used me to make a difference in people's lives. You have used me to grow this company. 
you have used me to help lead these students well or these players or whatever. Lord, use me again and again and again and then give me opportunities to give the credit back to you that you would receive glory because you alone did it. You used me, but it was you who did it. Do you see that? You see how that turns right back around to him? And then, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. This is actually a promise of God. That one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And so part of what our role is on earth as leaders in society, that God has called his people to lead the world, part of our role is helping God's glory fill the earth. Ultimately, how does that happen? Well, it happens by people coming to know him as Savior and King. The more people who know God as King, the more people who will worship and follow him as King. And one day, the promise is that the whole earth will know him and will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So for all of you, in whatever leadership position God has put you, it's not too late. You know, whether you're retired, whether you're uh, much older with older kids, an empty nester, whether you are near retirement, wherever you are, it's not too late. If your kids are older now, maybe middle school, high school, you didn't miss your opportunity to shape their lives. It's not too late. Ask the Lord to help you, to help you lead with justice and with righteousness, to help you lead with wisdom, and if necessary, to repent where you have not done that well. And to say, Lord, I really haven't been a great leader in all the places you've called me to. Help me to know what that would look like in the place that you've placed me. Now again, I want to talk to all the young people out there who keep thinking, well, this isn't me. You know, I don't, I'm not a boss, I'm, I'm not working, I'm doing all these things. So some of the kids, siblings, let me just talk to you for a second. Especially if you are an older sibling, what are ways that you can care for your younger brother or sister? To serve them, to watch out for them, to look out for them. If, if they're getting teased somewhere at the playground or when you're together playing, what are some ways that you as an older sibling can protect them? To include them in things that you're doing. To listen to them when they have an idea of how they want to play and you want to do it a different way. What are some ways that you as an older sibling can serve and care for your younger siblings? Again, older siblings, do you pray for your brother and sister? Do you pray for your younger siblings? Do you want them to know God? Do you know God in this way? What about classmates, students? Maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're uh, in school. What are some ways that you can also lead in your place of vocation that God has put you in school? Well, if you're on a team, uh, if you're at all good in your position and there's others behind you, you can help them. You can help them learn the plays. You can help them learn their position. If you're a student and you're good at a subject and there are people that you know struggle, you could ignore them and say, well, it's not my problem. They'll figure it out or there's teachers for that. Or you could say, you know what? I really understand this. Maybe I could help them. 
What are some ways you can lead with care wherever God has put you? And then how can you notice those maybe who also feel left out in school or wherever it is? So you see, this prayer of a king 2,000 years ago, or more, more than 2,000 years ago, like three or 4,000 years ago, this prayer applies to every single one of us. Do you see that? So how can the Lord help us lead with care, lead with prayer, and lead for God's glory? Now, to, to conclude all this and wrap all this up, I want to show you something really cool. Go back to your psalm, Psalm 72, and I'm just going to try to march through these verses real quick, okay, and show you something that I think is really neat. Because when we're talking about Jesus's, or, or Solomon's king and kingdom, one of the things we understand is that Jesus was the one who ultimately fulfilled the promise of God to David that a son would be on the throne of God forever. And we acknowledge that Jesus is that king who will reign forever, who is reigning and will reign forever. So go back through your psalm real quick. I'm going to pull out a few themes from each one. Verses 1 through 2, what we see there is that King Jesus will bring justice and righteousness, and he's already bringing justice and righteousness to all the land. In verse 3, and then 6 through 7, and verse 16, what we see is that King Jesus' people will prosper, and his land will flourish in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we see in the picture of Jesus' kingdom in Revelation. Verses 4 through 5, King Jesus will crush his enemies, and he will be feared by all people. Verses 8, King Jesus' dominion will be over the entire earth. When he comes back, the whole earth is his. And actually, the whole earth is his now. He reigns and rules over all the world. Verses 9 through 11, kings and rulers and people from every nation will bow down to King Jesus and bring their tribute, their gifts, and their worship to him. Philippians 2 says, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is king, and all will serve him one day. Verses 12 through 14, King Jesus will defend and deliver the poor, the needy, and the oppressed from among his people. He is the helper for the helpless. Verse 15, King Jesus will live forever because he has conquered the death and the grave. Verse 17, King Jesus' name will endure forever, and his fame will continue to spread throughout the whole world. And verses 18 through 19, Jesus King will be blessed forever as the one who has done wondrous things for his people through his life, death, and resurrection. And his name will be blessed as a glorious name when the whole earth is filled with his glory. And then the only appropriate response to that is the very last words, right? Amen. Amen and amen. King Jesus is alive and he's ruling and reigning. And ultimately, he is the one that we follow. And as we trust and follow him, he helps and equips us to lead in the world wherever we are for his glory and for the good of others. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge you as king and we thank you that you are ruling and you are reigning. Would you help us to know in every situation that you've put us in, whether before today we didn't 
see ourselves as leaders. We didn't see ourselves as kings wherever you've placed us. Lord, would you help us see that you have called every single one of us as your people to be leaders in the world, to lead people because we care about them, as we pray for them, and ultimately for your glory. Would you help me to lead well, lead all the, help all the parents in here to lead well, help all the employees and employers to lead well, those who are retired and elderly to lead well, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.